Hey guys, um, I just realized that as of the time, this or as of the day this episode goes up, it will be September 11th, 2018 when this goes up, um, which means I should probably talk a little bit about the anniversary uh, of September 11th, 2001. Um, I was about, so I know many people, many of my peers, uh, weren't even born yet. M many of my peers were not even born on September 11th, um, especially considering the new millennial generation. Uh, we're getting to a point where many, many teenagers nowadays, nowadays were just not alive when the event happened. Um, I was alive. I was, however, I was about two years old when it happened. So I don't have much of a recollection uh, as to what happened that day. I know it was a very scary day for Americans. Uh, we didn't know we didn't know if the next day we were going to wake up and we were still going to have a republic or not. Uh, and again, I, I mean, I'm I'm I live in New York State. I live in the state that this happened in. Um, I, I don't live in New York City, but I, I live in New York State, and um, the fact that this happened was just uh, just tragic. It it was just tragic and horrifying, and uh, I I have many. Uh, there were many family friends uh, that my my parents and many of. Uh, my other family members knew that unfortunately uh, were in the towers during 9/11. It feels like if you live in New York, especially, or not just every, not just New York, but a lot of people at the time, including myself, because I I lived in I I lived in that state. It feels like somehow, you know. You knew somebody who uh, died in the World Trade Center. It's like everybody lost somebody. Um, and listen, regardless of what I thought about the aftermath of that, and listen, I didn't agree with uh, you know the United States, the U.S.'s involvement in Iraq. I didn't agree with that. Um, but regardless of my thoughts on the aftermath, uh, the fact that this happened was just tragic, and just, it, it was just horrible that this had to happen, um, and, uh, it, it's, it's amazing to think that this happened, uh, about 17 years ago now, you know, where is the time gone, um, and again, it just feels like, especially if you if you lived in New York, that you knew somebody. There was somebody you knew that, unfortunately, was in those towers when the attack happened. Um, and uh, it just goes to show how how amazing how amazing it was that after this happened. How amazing it was that we as 
New Yorkers and we as Americans were able to come together and really unite behind what happened. Um, you know, just unite together uh, behind this horrible, horrible event. Um, so I just wanted to uh, take a moment to uh, to talk about this and talk about uh, the experience that so many Americans and so many New Yorkers had to go through uh, and just remember uh, this tragic, tragic day before I got into the episode because I felt like it wouldn't be appropriate if I just uploaded this on, ni- on the anniversary of 9-11 and not mentioned what happened. Um, so I just wanted to, uh, to mention that, and, uh, I, I, I hope you all enjoy the episode, and we we can't, we cannot forget history, and we cannot forget what happened on September 11th, 2001. Thank you. Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. This week, Mark West, the libertarian candidate for governor of Arkansas, joins me to discuss Bob Woodward's new book, The Kavanaugh Hearings, The New York Times Op-Ed, and more. Okay, we're here. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Politics Weekly. Uh, We are here this week uh, with the Libertarian nominee for governor of Arkansas, Mark West. Hello, sir. How are you today? Good afternoon, everyone. 
Um, okay, so the way this show, show works is typically we talk about the news of the week, and I get the guest's perspective on that. But first, I want to uh, ask you some questions about your campaign for governor. Uh so, okay, so my first question, now this should be a simple question, but you got to be careful because Ted Kennedy historically uh, didn't do very well with this question. This one question is, why do you want to be governor of Arkansas? Well, really, I don't. Um, what I want to do is uh, turn the governor, the idea of governor into what our founding fathers uh, saw it as someone that uh, is, let me rephrase, I don't want to be governor the way it currently operates. Uh, currently operates as a uh, position where they dole out favors to uh, corporate interests and lobbyists and things of that nature, and, and I don't believe the governor should be doing that. Uh, the governor should just be making sure that, that all of our individual rights are protected. And so I guess you could say I want to redefine the office of governor. That would be the best way to, to, to define it. All right. Um, now, uh, you are one of many, many, many libertarians uh, running this year uh, for office. Uh, here in my state, New York, we have Larry Sharp running for governor of my state. Love Larry Sharp. Yes. I got to meet him recently. That was very, very cool. Um, uh, how do you feel? And, and, and there have also been some libertarians that have tried to run as Republicans. Some of succeeded some has failed in winning the nomination eric brakey uh ended up winning the nomination he's a libertarian running as a republican he won the nomination for senate in maine austin peterson didn't do as well in missouri but um how do you think how do you feel overall about the libertarians chances of winning uh around the country this year i, I think they're better than they have been uh in prior elections just because the uh temperament of the electorate is shifting away uh, every year a little bit further away from the, the two-party dominance uh, that we've had, the, the, the way the duopoly operates and kind of uh, controls our political system. Uh, a lot of people have kind of bristled at that. I think that's why we also have low voter turnouts. Uh, everybody wants to blame it on apathy just because it's easier to blame the voters. Uh, but the reality is the two parties have really shut the system down and they give you horrible choices so people don't show up anymore. And they put a lot of barriers in between you and the ballot box. Uh, and, you know, third parties uh, are trying to get in there. And I think this year we have a really good shot. Um, I think Larry Sharp has a, has a good shot at making a lot of noise. Uh, we're looking to make a lot of noise here in Arkansas. And, and uh, I think we will see... If we don't see wins, I think we'll definitely see higher percentages of votes and larger amounts of votes than we've received uh, during the same cycle in 2014. All right. Um, now, the current governor, for those uh, listening who are currently unaware, uh, Mark West is running against uh, Asa Hutchinson, the incumbent Republican governor. Now, he currently has um, a 57% approval rating, according to... The Morning Consultant, he's the eighth most uh, popular governor in the country. Um, uh, and uh, both Donald Trump and Mitt Romney won the, won the state by significant margins. So, and it used to be a, a sort of a conservative Democratic state. Now it's become more Republican. 
what is your strategy as a libertarian to kind of topple the Republican establishment uh, in Arkansas? Uh, sure, and what's interesting, what you're throwing out there is, you know, Mitt Romney and Donald Trump both won the state with uh, 60, like 62, 62, 63% of the vote. Yeah, I think uh, Donald Trump won it by the biggest margin of any Republican in history. Um, that I don't know. As far as percentage, it was the same percentage that yeah. Romney received. I know that he had more raw votes, uh, but the Democrat also had more raw votes. So I don't know uh, how that goes as far as total terms of votes. But what you're looking at is a state, even with those type of turnouts, you still had more than half the state that didn't vote. Uh, there were still more people that, that chose not to vote. And, and that is uh, part of our strategy is getting new people to the polls, uh, getting people interested in the political process who haven't been. Uh, we're targeting millennials, uh, targeting uh, the younger demographic, and, and we're targeting them because they're, they're sick of duopoly. They don't feel like they have a place, like the way uh, you know the, the government is being run, it's creating uh, more problems for them and for their futures. And uh, we're trying to run a, a campaign that's emphasizing individual rights and getting uh, their power and their ability uh, to succeed and to have opportunity back uh, by getting the government out of everything and out of everyone's, uh, you know, whether it's their bedroom or their business, we're trying to get the government out of it. And uh, that is part of our strategy is really trying to go, you know, we have our libertarian core and we're trying to expand that by getting into areas where uh, people haven't been participating in the political process. We're trying to give them a reason to to re-engage the process. Ah. All right. So if you became governor, my next question is, if you became governor, would you attempt to uh, eliminate uh, or abolish eminent domain laws in the state of Arkansas? Yeah, I would. I'm opposed to eminent domain laws. I believe that is a violation of property rights. Uh, even though the government is paying for that property, if that person doesn't want to sell, they should not be coerced into selling. And eminent domain is a form of coercion and it's a form of, of government force. And those are things that I oppose as a libertarian and, that, and I would try to end if elected governor. Okay. Um, so my next question, um, libertarians have clear stances on guns, taxes, and foreign intervention, but there are many uh, issues that libertarians are divided on. So what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to state to you an issue that many libertarians tend to be divided on, and I want you to briefly give me your thoughts uh, or your perspective on that issue. So the first issue okay. is uh, abortion. What are your thoughts on abortion? Uh, 
to have help with childcare, to have help by maintaining or developing job skills or abilities so that they can uh, support you know their family, uh, making sure that we're holding uh, these these uh, dads accountable uh, rather than letting them off the hook uh, for these children. Um, and I think if we build a culture where there are better choices, uh, another thing we can do is make private adoption uh, um, simpler and less expensive uh, so that that options are available. Also, I think that as we create better choices, we'll actually reduce the number of, of young women that are choosing abortion so that we actually make it a choice uh, for them instead of it you know, being kind of this top-down, you can't have a choice either way. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the few things government should do is protect life, and that's why I am pro-life, because I do believe that life uh, begins at conception. I believe that science teaches us that, that you do have a new life at that point. Um, and that's where the big debate is with libertarians, is at what point you extend, you know, human rights uh, mm-hmm. uh, to the unborn. Um, but that's where I stand on the issue. Okay, the next issue. Now, libertarians tend to be um, overall very friendly towards immigration, um, but many, some libertarians think that there ought to be completely open borders, we ought to completely strip borders, and other libertarians will argue that uh, that's not the case, and we should instead, uh, we should have some border security. What are your thoughts? Should there be open borders? I think that what we need to focus on is what's creating the problem. Uh, you know, too many want to fight about you know having a big government solution or not having a big government solution uh, at the border. Uh, most people in those communities along the border will tell you that the Minutemen were probably the most effective thing that's been done on our border uh, since these border issues have arisen. Uh, but what kills me is a lot of conservatives will point to you know this this uh, increase uh, in border activity that started you know really ramped up during the 80s, uh, but they refuse to connect it to the drug war. Uh, so I want to see us in the drug war. I want to see us in the welfare state, and I want to see us expand uh, temporary work opportunities for people that you know want to come across the border just to work temporarily in places. And I really think those three items. Will reduce 90% of the problem we have on the border, um, and, and those are all free market style solutions uh, to uh, the problems on our border. And then those areas uh, where you have private property along the border may want to secure their property from people coming across it, that they should have the freedom to hire you know whoever they want to make sure their borders and their land and their property is secured. Um, that way you don't have to worry about the government violating uh, the Constitution because the federal government really has no constitutional authority over who crosses uh, the border. Uh, that's something that that's an area of overreach uh, by the federal government, but it's something that each uh, property owner, the states themselves uh, working with property owners, that's something that should be a priority there, and it should be dealt with there. Um, and uh and they can use whatever free market means they want to try to solve that, but it, it shouldn't have to be a big uh, overreaching government thing uh, to deal with the border. All right. Uh, the next issue is the death penalty. Ron Paul often said that he'd go back and forth about his views on the death penalty. What's your thoughts on the death penalty? The death penalty is a very difficult uh, difficult issue uh, because you know I am pro-life and I, I don't want to see human life taken. Uh, at the same time, I understand that your punishment has to fit the crime. 
Now, one of the big issues I have is our criminal justice system gets a lot of this stuff wrong. And that's one of the big catches I have right now with uh, the, the idea of the death penalty is, is are we really sure this person has committed this crime? You know, here in Arkansas, we, we're, we're famous for the West Memphis Three. Um, I actually grew up, uh, I, I was the neighbor of one of them when we were, when we were children, uh, the, the Damien Eccles guy. And uh, he and I were, you know, buddies when we were children. Uh, so I'm familiar with that. I'm from West Memphis, uh, where everything happened. And, you know, those guys, uh, you know, Damien was on death row. And, and, um, and most people don't believe he killed those children. Um, I don't believe he killed those children. Uh, so we need to make sure that if you are going to have a death penalty, that you are certain that people that are being put to death really did commit the crime. Um, otherwise, you need to come up with some other means uh, 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 of dealing with these crimes. You know, we, we keep having people exonerated with DNA evidence after they've served 18, 20, 30 years in prison. Uh, so we've got to have major criminal justice reform alongside dealing with the death penalty issue. Um and, you know, here in the state of Arkansas, we are a state that, that does use the death penalty. I also think you have to consider uh, victims' rights uh, in that process. Uh, you know, there are many victims that, that don't want the bloodshed to continue. They don't want the person that, that killed their loved one to also be killed because they, they believe there's like a cycle of bloodshed and they don't want to be a part of that cycle by seeking death penalty for the, the person that committed that crime. And I think that when we do the death penalty, it has to consider their rights and their feelings on the issue as well. All right. Uh, so the next issue. So I when you sign when you become, I believe, a, a member of the Libertarian Party, you have to sign. I believe you have to sign something saying you support the non-aggression principle. However, some libertarians uh, differ on the non-aggression principle. Libertarianism.org uh, wrote an article saying that they didn't. They were skeptical about the non-aggression principle, or at least they didn't think it should be at the forefront of libertarianism. Austin Peterson, the libertarian candidate for president in 2016, who became a Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Missouri this year, uh, has said that uh, he rejects the non-aggression principle. What are your thoughts on the non-aggression principle? And really struggled with uh, with politics in general because uh, of my faith. And one of the things that always stood out to me was this this uh, what seemed like a, a similar principle to what I had in my faith, which was do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And that's basically the non-aggression principle in a nutshell. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of the non-aggression principle. I believe it should be at the core and at the heart of everything we are as libertarians. I mean, it is kind of the, the central basis uh, for uh, what we believe in and for our core principles that that we as individuals, everything should be a voluntary uh, relationship, uh, whether it's between two individuals or a business and individuals or or sets of businesses or whatever, everything should be uh, handled through voluntary relationships. You shouldn't use coercion. And that's why myself and, and many who agree with me are so opposed to the way our state is used and the way our government is used because it does become an object of force and coercion. And uh, so I, I'm strongly and adamantly in favor of the non-aggression 
All right. Uh, the next issue is Black Lives Matter. Now, Gary Johnson said, uh, Gary Johnson, the nominee, the the governor of New Mexico nominee for for president on the libertarian line in 2012 and 2016, has said that he supports Black Lives Matter. Do you support Black Lives Matter? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, they are, the whole Black Lives Matter movement is trying to bring awareness to to an issue uh, in our criminal justice system, to one of the, the faults in our criminal justice system. And I don't believe it's always an intentional fault. I don't, I think that a lot of us are ingrained with these these uh, ways, these, these internal prejudices that we may not even be aware of, but they come out when the pressure's on, and more often than not, that pressure comes on uh, when you have, when you're dealing with uh, crime in the black community. Um, and what we, what we see, especially when you look statistically, you have the, the same number of, uh, you, you know, statistically it shows the same percentage of like, you know, young white kids are smoking dope as you have young black kids smoking dope, yet, you know, black kids are three times as likely to be in jail for it. Uh, you know, we have some inequities in our criminal justice system that Black Lives Matter is trying to highlight, and, and I support them as, as they try to highlight those inequities because we do need to get reform in our system and make our systems work so that you do have equality and, and so that you do have justice for all. You know, everybody should be equal under the law, and, and that's what they're trying to accomplish uh, through Black Lives Matter. All right, so the next uh, issue I wanted to ask you about was the recent uh, ruling about the recent Supreme Court ruling involving the Colorado baker who didn't want to make a wedding cake for a gay couple. Now, Gary Johnson, uh, again, talked about that this was a big uh, issue in the presidential debate for the Libertarians in 2016 um, when Gary Johnson said that he actually thought that the, that um, that they should make the cake or that the Colorado baker should bake the cake for uh, the gay couple that wanted that cake. And Austin Peterson, the other candidate there, had said that he uh, did not support having the government come in to intervene uh, and make, essentially make this Colorado baker for, uh, make this cake. Do you believe that, uh, that he, sh that, or do you believe that uh, there's any way for the government to step in and say uh, that he should uh, he should bake this? And do you believe in any sort of anti-discrimination laws? Uh, as far as that that cake baker, let me say you know I'm, I'm a Christian. If I was that that cake baker, I would have made the cake uh, just because for me it would have been an extension of me trying to to you know share my faith with someone. Um, but I do believe in the freedom of association. So you should have the right to associate with who you want to and to not associate with who you don't want to associate with, and that includes your business. Uh, now, we've got this tricky area where you can have, like, uh, you know, these uh, municipal monopolies uh, that that create an issue, which is why we probably shouldn't have municipal monopolies. But, you know, we have these local municipal monopolies, and then you have uh, government agencies and things of that nature where, you know, these problems can creep in, and, you know, they, they do have to provide those services because they have that, that local monopoly. Um, but when you're dealing with somebody that's, that's just running a cake-baking business, I mean, th th there's no reason the government should 
force them to make a cake. Uh, it is something that should be covered in freedom of association. And no, I, I, I don't like the idea of non-discrimination laws. I mean, let's be honest, the reason we have those is because the government got involved in the first place and made it okay to say blacks only fountains, or excuse me, whites only fountains, and and whites only restaurants, and whites only this, that, and the other. If the government hadn't allowed all that to begin with, uh, you know, the government got behind that stuff, you know, made those things legal to do, made it okay to discriminate. If the government hadn't gotten involved and made it okay to discriminate, and made, took it out of the, the, the free market power of people to make purchases, uh, we wouldn't have had those problems that they created, the non-discrimination laws uh, to deal with to begin with. You know, it's, it's one of those the government creating a problem coming along later and creating the solution, which in essence just creates another round of problems. Uh, you know, let, let's just get the government out of everybody's business and the way they do business, and let's see what happens when you let businesses run on the free market. I mean, let people use their free market power to decide whether a business uh, should fail or should be successful. Uh, it should be up to the government. All right, and one last issue before I ask you the next question. Anarcho-capitalism. Many libertarians identify as anarcho-capitalism, and they believe there should essentially be no government at all. Do you support anarcho-capitalism? I see the benefits of anarcho-capitalism. Um, I do tend toward um, wanting to keep the government out of these things outside of just protecting as I've said, you know, individual rights to life, liberty, and property. Uh, government being involved any deeper than that, uh, I'm opposed to. So I, I do lean toward uh, anarcho-capitalist type uh, economics, uh, but I do see a very, very limited role for government, but it should be, uh, again, in, in a voluntary manner. It should be a manner in which all parties have agreed to allow the government to be the arbiter uh, of that contract. Uh, uh, outside of that, uh, there really isn't a need for government. So, um, all right, thank you. For the next question uh, is about the lieutenant governor's race. So right now there is a libertarian running uh, in the lieutenant governor's race, Frank Gilbert. Uh, do you support him for lieutenant governor? Yes, I do. Um, okay, so the next question I have, uh, now, for those who don't know, um, in some states, like my state, New York, um, whoever ends up, they have the governor and the lieutenant governor on the same uh, ballot. So if you vote, like, for example, if you were to vote for Larry Sharp you'd, uh, in the New York governor's race, you'd also be voting for uh, Andrew Hollister for the lieutenant governor. If you were to vote for Andrew Cuomo for governor, you would be voting, assuming he wins the nomination, you'd be voting for Kathy Hochul for lieutenant governor. Uh, Arkansas is not one of those states. In Arkansas, they have a separate governor's race and a separate lieutenant governor's race. Um, so, and if you look at other states that have that, for example, uh, Louisiana. Louisiana, John Bell Edwards, a Democrat, is, a, is the governor. They have a Republican lieutenant governor in Louisiana. In uh, Vermont, they have a Republican uh, 
governor, Phil Scott, and a Democratic lieutenant governor. Uh, if you were, say you were to uh, win the governor's race, but uh, either Tim Griffin or Anthony Bland were to win the lieutenant governor's race, uh, would you be willing to work with uh, one of these men or even compromise uh, your beliefs? See, that's one of the reasons I'm running up. I don't have my principles. I don't have anything. So I can't compromise my principles, uh, but I will be willing to sit down, have conversations, uh, work with either uh, Tim Griffin or Anthony Bland uh, wherever possible. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things in our state, the lieutenant governor's office is really kind of a, um, how do I say this and not be impolite about it? It's really an unnecessary office. Uh, the lieutenant governor in the state doesn't really do a lot um, in this state. Uh, so there wouldn't really be a whole lot that the lieutenant governor would be able to push uh, or, or do from a political standpoint. Uh, more of the dealings that I would have as governor would be with the state legislature. All right. Um, and uh, the next question uh, is um, involving Donald Trump. So as you know, Donald Trump won the state by a very, very big margin, uh, in spite of the fact that his opponent was the first lady of Arkansas at one point. Um, but uh, he, he, and I believe he still has a pretty solid approval rating there. Uh, many Republicans that run, that are running for office this year as governor, for governor, will try and make the argument that you know, we the governor needs to be able to work with the president of the United States. Uh, would you, if you became governor, even though you may have differences with Donald Trump, would you be willing to work with him on certain occasions on and on certain issues where you could find common ground? Yeah, I'm willing to have the conversation with anyone. Uh, and that's one of the things that's different about me is I am willing to have that conversation and, and talk. Uh, but at the same time, um, I believe that the principles that we have in place are what's best for Arkansas. And we are looking to do what's best for Arkansas and for the individual Arkansans. Uh, so, um, yeah, I can work with him when I believe what he is doing is going to be best for Arkansans. But when it's not, uh, I'll be opposed to what he's trying to do. Like the, you know, the whole tariff situation right now is, is creating a bind on a lot of uh, family farms and family farmers in our state. Uh, so I'm adamantly opposed to that, and, uh, and if I was governor, I'd be hit back on that. Uh, but areas where we can work together is where you know he has you know hinted it, and so has Congressman Crawford it, and opened up uh, trade with Cuba. You know we we are a big rice state. Uh, we export a lot of rice, and Cuba would open up a huge new market for our state. So I would work with him, you know, in trying to get that market opened up. So there, there would be areas where I can work with him, but then there will be areas that I oppose. But it's going to be about putting Arkansas first, and, and that's that's would be my core philosophy uh, in dealing with President Trump. And one last question before we get into the news: uh, If you had to give somebody running for office this year as a libertarian advice, what would it be? Want you to be honest with them, and they want you to be available. Don't be afraid to uh, put your phone number out there. 
afraid to go to events. Uh, you know, myself, I've gone to Democrat events, I've gone to Republican events, I've gone to Tea Party events, uh, you know, any type NAACP events. Uh, I, I've been to all of them uh, because I'm trying to engage uh, with the voters and give them an opportunity to ask me questions. Uh, so, so uh, you know, voter engagement and just being uh, people that are honest and sincere. Uh, just be true to who you are and be true to your principles, uh, and, and voters will respect that. All right. So why don't we get into the news? And this first news story I think you'll like. Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, um, you know, he's the son of Ron Paul, uh, maybe not quite as libertarian as some people hope he, you know, kind of hoped he would be as he voted for Mike Pompeo, who's not really the most yeah. libertarian person. Some no, people... Yeah, he's going to support Kavanaugh. Although I will say, to be fair, Kavanaugh, although he's weak on the Fourth Amendment, he is, I will say he is better than Justice Kennedy because Justice Anthony Kennedy actually voted for the eminent domain case in, uh, in Connecticut. There's the little Pink House movie that that story was based on that he, vo- he was one of the people that voted in favor of that. But like Mike Pompeo, he's like a giant hawk. And for some reason, Rand Paul voted to confirm him. But um, this time, he actually it's looking like he's actually putting his principles ahead of his party. Because this week, he announced he will be backing former, New Me- uh, former Governor Gary Johnson, libertarian from New Mexico, for U.S. Senate. So what are your thoughts on Rand Paul officially endorsing Gary Johnson? I like it, and I wish that Rand would uh, help us out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, what I want to see Rand do is during these uh, confirmation hearings on Kavanaugh, I would really like to see him grill Kavanaugh on the Fourth Amendment. Uh, you know, we are very quick to to trade um, certain rights for other rights because we don't see, you know, a lot of us will fight adamantly for our gun rights, you know, the, the mm-hmm. come and take it movement. But then when it comes to the Fourth Amendment, we're like, well, you know, I don't really have anything to hide, so I'm not so upset about my Fourth Amendment rights being violated. Uh, you know, either we all stand with all of our rights together or we're all going to hang together because our rights are all going to be evaporated. So I'd really love to see Rand uh, crush Kavanaugh on that uh, so that maybe we can get in Kavanaugh's mind that this is an area you're going to be held accountable on. Uh, but as far as him endorsing uh, Gary Johnson, that's great. I love it. Hey, maybe Rand could endorse me uh, for governor <laughs> of Arkansas and endorse Larry Sharp for governor of New York. Uh, that would help us all out a bunch and at least get us some some headlines. Uh, you know, because one of the things we run into in Arkansas is headlines are very hard to come by if you're a libertarian candidate. Uh, they, you know, so many stories they will, you know, they'll they'll reach out to us and ask us for comment and we'll submit the comment. And then we get to reading the story. It's like, you know, it's quote after quote from the Democrat and the Republican. And at the end, it'll just say, Mark West opposes the measure. And nothing else. <laughs> you know, none of the reasons behind it, none of the principles, you know, nothing in the statement, just that, you know, I oppose the measure. Yeah. And that happens story after story after story. So it, it would help us get some positive traction to have somebody who uh, has Trump's ear uh, endorsing a libertarian candidate in a state that, that Trump won as, as handily as he did. It, it would help a bunch if uh, Rand would help a libertarian brother out. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say on this issue? Uh, no. I'm glad he endorsed Gary, and I hope that Gary yeah. does good and that Gary can steal that Senate seat out there. So um, the next story is about a GOP official who resigned after calling 
Colin Kaepernick a racial slur. So, uh, uh, she's from Pennsylvania. She's from Beaver County, Pennsylvania. She was the Republican Committee Secretary of Beaver County, Pennsylvania. Her name is Carla Maloney, and she resigned Friday in a letter to the committee. Uh, and I guess what she said was she uh, she said that she called the uh, the uh, people that were uh, kneeling for the flag uh, during the NFL protest. She called them those players quote baboons uh, on her Facebook account. Um, and she said, and then in another post, she said they were over, she called them, quote, overpaid, ignorant blacks and said they should, quote, go to Africa. Uh, so she, really? yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? That's horrible. I mean, and, 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 and this is the part of the President Trump phenomenon that really frustrates me is what it has done is it has emboldened people to just lash out at anybody they disagree with. Rather than, you know, I, as I said, you know, if you disagree with somebody, offer to buy them a cup of coffee and sit down and have a conversation. Find out where they're coming from. Explain to them where you're coming from. You know, at least take a minute to try to get their perspective and, and try to share yours uh, and have a conversation. But to just to come out and call people just names and words like that it shows i mean really that reflects more on her than it does on them yeah uh, many many of these people have have thought and they know the the consequences they know what they're risking uh, to deal uh they are trying to highlight police brutality enough uh, it has absolutely nothing to do with the soldiers it, has, it is completely totally about police brutality uh and, and trying to highlight awareness on that issue, an issue that affects many people in the NFL. Many of them come from communities uh, where, they've, where they've had, you know, experiences, where they've had family members, where they've had friends that have had experiences with police brutality. Uh, so for them, they're protesting because they want to raise awareness for an issue that, that's hit close to home. Um, and unfortunately uh, for, for this, this, this person, uh, they, they chose to to come up with an insult based on their skin color rather than try to get to the content of what they were saying and trying to understand, you know, the character that's really behind uh, their movement, that's behind their protest. Uh, you know, they, they have a right to protest. I, you know, I hate that they do it during the anthem because it does create, you know, all these issues, and I'm afraid it, it, it's going to actually detract uh, from what they're trying to get across. But, you know, it's just like the, the people doing sit-ins in restaurants, uh, you know, back in the 60s. They, their form of protest wasn't acceptable to culture back then, but yeah. yet it was a, it was something that that began pushing the conversation forward. And if this kneeling can push the conversation forward, uh, so that we can get policing that is more accountable, uh, that is less brutal, that gets away from you know the, these tactics. I mean, I've heard from people that that were police, you know, decades ago. And they talk about, you know, what police are trained to do these days, how they're trained to handle situations. And like, you know, they don't do policing. They, you know, it's it's more of a, um, you know, everybody's automatically guilty if you're dealing with them. And, that you know, they're trained more to, to kill and apprehend than they are to actually try to de-escalate and, and you know, not hurt somebody uh, in the process. You know, there's the... The story this weekend of the cop in Texas that you know claimed she was so tired that she went to the wrong apartment and 
busted in and shot the guy in that apartment because she thought he was in her apartment, even though her key wouldn't work for the door or anything like that. But somehow she managed to kill this guy. And, you know, if that if the shoe was on the other fit, that guy's first degree murder, you know, and, and we're going to be lucky if this cop faces manslaughter charges and if we ever get the whole story uh, out of what happened. So, you know, there is a huge... Um, there's a huge issue out there that, that these protests are trying to raise awareness to. And I really think uh, this this person and, and other people, whether they're you know Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians, would be better served to try to hear the, hear the people out that are protesting and, and understand why they're protesting uh, and, and try to develop an understanding and, and try to figure out what, what the real issues are. And let's come up with real solutions for real issues rather than just throwing – these verbal jabs at each other. Verbal jabs don't solve anything. They may make you feel better for a minute or feel like you're more important because you put somebody down, but they don't solve the problems, uh, and we really need to be focused on solving the problems. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say on the issue? Uh, no, that's, that, that's got it. All right. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we move on to the next issue? So uh, currently, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, not many people really like him, Democrats don't like him. Trump doesn't like him, and he's been a real nuisance to libertarians. Yeah, libertarians hate him not just because of his not just because of his stance on uh, on marijuana, but also because his stance on marijuana is a violation of the Tenth Amendment, which uh, is about states' rights, uh, powers not mentioned in the de- in the Constitution being delegated to the state and local governments. Um, but, uh, unfortunately it's looking like he will stay on. There've been rumors about him resigning. Um, uh, but unfortunately it's now being said that he will be, he will stay on until at least after the midterms, uh, according to Sessions and Trump apparently has no plans to fire him. Sessions has no plans to quit. So he's going to stay on until the the, the midterms, which is unfortunate. Some people think that might be because Rod Rosenstein, uh, he's the, uh, he's the, uh, deputy attorney, he's the under, he's the deputy, the deputy attorney general, and he's a Democrat, and he's had a lot of involvement in the Trump-Russia investigation, and some people think Trump doesn't, wants to keep Sessions on so that Rosenstein doesn't become acting AG, um, but what are your thoughts overall on Jeff Sessions staying on until at least after the midterms? Well, it's kind of one of those situations. It's, it's the devil you do know versus the devil you don't know. Um, you know, I, I really despise uh, uh, what he has tried to do with the Office of Attorney General, uh, especially in regards to, to marijuana and just uh, drug policy in general. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I hate having him on for those things, but at the same time, you know, I do, I do want to see checks and balances and him, him being recused from the Russia stuff kind of inadvertently serves as a check and a balance on, uh, President Trump trying to decide whether he can clear himself of, of anything wrong, uh, that happened, uh, with Russia. Uh, so it's kind of a check there to have him in place, um. So it's, you know, there's no telling what we would get in place of Jeff Sessions if he did uh, resign. I'm afraid that what we would get might be worse than what we've got now. Uh, and that, that's the only concern that I have. Um, 
you know, if you, if you could guarantee me that we're going to get somebody that's the total opposite on drug policy and marijuana, uh, then I would be, you know, on board, let's get rid of the guy. But not knowing what we're going to get, uh, if he is gone, I, I am concerned about it. If you could suggest somebody to Donald Trump, if you could suggest somebody for Donald Trump to choose as his attorney general to replace Jeff Sessions, who would you choose? Uh, the, the typical libertarian answer is uh, Joseph Napolitano, man. <laughs> yeah. Somebody in his mold uh, that really understands liberty and understands the Constitution and understands why we exist as a country. Uh, uh, you know, I think President Trump would serve himself well to try to get Napolitano on his staff somewhere and actually listen to what the man has to say. I mean, he is very smart. Uh, he's brilliant. Uh, and... Uh, he knows liberty and understands our law. Uh, so somebody like that, if, if we could get somebody like that in the attorney general office, I would be thrilled to death. All right. Anything else you want to add or should we move on? Uh, we can move on. Okay. Uh, let's do that then. Hold on. Let me get out of that. Okay. So, um, right now, uh, so this week we saw, uh, John McCain last week, we reported on how he passed, away the senator the republican senator from arizona um but uh this week uh uh or uh this week there was the uh or last or yeah technically last week since the you know this is this whole episode is reporting on last week's news um uh what happened was they buried him um, and during his eulogy, his daughter gave a speech, his daughter Megan gave him a, gave a speech, which, uh, got polarized reaction, um, uh, she said, uh, during her speech she got political and took jabs at Trump without actually mentioning him, uh, Megan McCain at one point said, quote, we gather here to mourn the passing of American greatness, the real thing, not a cheap rhetoric from men who will never come near the sacrifice nor the opportunistic uh, appropriations of those who lived lives of comfort and privilege while he suffer and suffered and served. Um, she also went on to say later on, she said, the America of John McCain has no need to be made great again because America was always great. Um, uh, some people also bashed former President George W. Bush and uh, and Barack Obama for getting political without, you know, mentioning uh, Trump's name. Uh, in terms of Megan, though, she got uh, her speech got polarized reaction. Uh, some people were for it. Some people thought, oh, I'm watching a funeral. I don't want this to get political. What were your thoughts on Megan McCain's eulogy? Uh, well, to be completely honest, I did not watch a single episode of the miniseries The Death of John McCain uh, last week. Um, I had better things to do, uh, to be honest. Um, I do appreciate uh, his service in Vietnam and his willingness to, you know, uh, to serve in the military. Um, but, I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, he made a political statement by uh, discluding uh, President Trump and some others from being you know, able to even attend uh, his, his funeral services. So, um, you know, I never like uh, for times of mourning to be politicized, uh, but that's the nature of what everything is. Everything gets politicized anymore. Uh, 
and, and it's tragic that it was. Um, I, I think that 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 is what our political atmosphere has become, uh, where everyone, uh, any chance they get or any opportunity they have for a platform, they use it to try to bash and, and trash other people. Um, you know, regardless of how you feel about you know what President Trump uh, has done as president, uh, a funeral probably isn't the appropriate place. But this is a daughter. Uh, in her time of grief, and I think uh, she should have full opportunity to say whatever she wants uh, and say how she feels. Um, I mean, and that, that's just that. Um, but like I said, I, I did not watch any of it. Um, I, I was not a fan of, of John McCain's politics, uh, so, uh, so I really didn't watch and... Uh, really don't have anything else to say about that. I mean, it, it's just part of the course uh, of political debate today. All right. Anything else you want to add or should we move on? Uh, we can move on. All right. So Trump's approval rating has dropped to 38 uh, percent. Trump was bragging at one point that his approval rating was at 50 percent. However, that was actually his disapproval rating now sits at just 38 percent. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and do you think that that could affect Donald Trump, uh, or that could affect Republicans' chances of winning in the midterms? I think it could impact uh, the Republicans' chances uh, in the midterms. Um, it, it's all going to depend on, because every race is a local race, uh, and that's what a lot of people don't seem to, to get, is, is every race is local. Uh, even in the presidential race, you know, you have 50 state races, but so much of it boiled down to, to local type issues. Um, uh, so I think it's going to depend on where those races are and what kind of candidates you have in those races uh, uh, that are going to make the difference. Uh, and whether you see the House, you know, flip to the Democrats or, you know, whether the Senate stays or whether it flips. Um, I, I think that the approval ratings themselves, uh, you know, sometimes they can get a little bit overblown um, because really people can disapprove or approve, but it doesn't matter unless they show up and vote. Um, so, you know, the, the whole process itself uh, is very hard to gauge what you're going to have happen on election day because uh, election day is always going to boil down to to people going and voting. So if people feel passionately enough in their favor of Trump that they get out and they support Republican candidates, then that's good. But again, with it being local elections, you know, you may have a Republican that's kind of an anti-Trump Republican. So they, so the voters don't show up uh, to, to vote for that Republican if, if, you know, they approve of Trump and those that, you know, are opposed to Trump will show up. You know, there's so many dynamics in these local races that it's very hard to take just uh, the approval rating of the president say, so, okay, you know, we have the, the president at 38, so that'll mean, you know, he'll lose 20 seats in the House. You, know, you can't really say that because each of them is such a local, localized race, and it's just going to depend on the, the dynamics on the ground, uh, what's going on in that local area that's affecting and impacting that race. Uh, and now, if he doesn't get it up, I think he might be in some trouble, you know, next go-round. Um, but Again, we, we just have to watch. Uh, we'll see here in a couple months uh, uh, whether all this uh, hype out there about a blue wave happens or not. Uh, it, 
again, it depends on what each local situation has going on and how those local races are going to turn. All right. Anything else you want to say about that, or should we move on? Now we can move on. All right. So, former uh, Secretary of State, uh, former Massachusetts Senator, and 2004 uh, presidential nominee for the Democrats, John Kerry, Democrat from Massachusetts, uh, is thinking about getting back uh, into the 2020 race. He's thinking about running for president again, getting back into politics and running for president again in 2020. Uh, now, Donald Trump uh, put up a quote. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, let me see if I can find the quote that he put up. Real quick. Do, 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 do. Hold on. Let's see. I imagine it's probably on the lines of him being a loser and a loser trying to lose again. Yeah. Well, he said. put money on it. That's what I bet it, bet it is. Let me see real quick. Uh. Uh. I guess what Donald Trump said, or I can't find it, the official tweet. Let me, or let me just see this one article right here. See if this is, if this has this. Um. Uh. Okay. Here. Oh, here we go. Here's what he says. Donald Trump said in a tweet, and I quote. I see that John Kerry, the father of the now terminated Iran deal, is thinking of running for president. I should only be so lucky. Although the field that is currently assembling looks really good for me, explanation point. Uh, I should point out that John Kerry did eventually follow up and say, uh, saying, I doubt I'd be running for office again. Um, but he still expressed interest in running for president. So what are your thoughts on John Kerry potentially running for president again? Uh, and what are your thoughts on Trump's tweet? Uh, well, my thoughts on John Kerry running is that I would firstly, I doubt he would be able to secure the, the nomination, uh, the Democrat Party nomination. And if he did, he, he I don't see him defeating Donald Trump uh, in a presidential race. Uh, even if Donald Trump is unpopular, John Kerry wasn't that popular either. Um, and as far as Trump's tweet, I mean, uh, he's, I mean, that that's Donald Trump. He's a master at, at spinning that stuff and in ways that make him look good. I mean, that's that's why he is where he is. He's he's a master of that art. And, uh, so, uh, I mean, I do think that presidential race is going to be interesting when it gets here, but uh, we won't know anything for sure until we get through November. Um, All right. Anything else? Or is that it? No, I'm good. Yeah. All right. So uh, the next story involves Chicago, the mayor of Chicago, Illinois, Rahm Emanuel, who is also a former congressman and the former chief of staff to President Obama. Um, he, it was very much expected that he would be running for a third term this year. However, he has announced that he will not run again. Here's what he says in a quote. As much as I love this job and will always love the city and its residents, I have decided not to run for re-election. Uh, and he goes on to say, this has been the job of a lifetime, uh, or, or, but not as a job for a lifetime. He went on to add, the la for the last seven years, I've given every day 
uh, and left everything on the field. This commit has commitment has required uh, a uh, significant sacrifice uh, all around. We have more to do from now until then. We will do everything in our power to get it done and walk out through the door and walk out the door, hopefully leaving Chicago and Chicagoans a better place. He w- later went on to uh, say that he um, that or he late when asked why he was retiring, he has also said that uh, family matters. He wants to spend more time with his family, which is often the excuse a lot of politicians will will tell you is they'll say, "Oh, I want to spend more time with my family." That's what they'll say a lot. But anyways, uh, this is major news because. Uh, Rahm Emanuel, he was universally known throughout the country. Uh, he was mayor of a ginormous city uh, with millions of people living in it. And now he is retiring. So what are your thoughts on Rahm Emanuel uh, announcing he won't run for a third term? I imagine, I mean, with the political life, that does take a toll uh, on you. Um, I had read somewhere that that um, you know, being unable to really deal with the you know, the high uh, murder rate uh, in Chicago was was a big uh, weight. It weighed on him a lot too. So, so uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see over time. You know, whether he you know did he get a good offer to do something? Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I don't really pay much attention to Chicago politics. So. So it's not really a big deal for me either way. All right. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, sir. All right. So, um, uh, so the next, uh, the next story is about Nike. So you've probably heard about this, but uh, Nike announced that Colin Kaepernick will be the new face uh, of their uh, Nike brand, or they're going to have a campaign. Uh, a viral campaign surrounding around Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, and, and again, this has been very polarized. Fox News, very conservative outlet, has bashed Nike, given Nike negative coverage for days. Um, and many conservatives and many other people have been boycotting Nike. Some people have been praising the decision, saying they support Kaepernick and support Nike's bravery in this decision. But Donald Trump said in a tweet uh, on September 7th, two days ago, he put out a short little tweet that said, that said, quote, what was Nike thinking? Uh, what are your thoughts on Trump mocking Nike? And what are your thoughts on Nike's decision to include Colin Kaepernick as the mascot of their company? Or, or the mascot of this campaign, I should say. I think that it shows that Nike knows their market. I mean, if you look at, at who buys Nike products, it's you know not your typical uh, Trump voter demographic. Uh, it's people that you know. It's the millennial groups. It's you know people that would care about Colin Kaepernick. It's people that would care about police brutality. It's you know people that actually watch you know the NFL and. Uh, you know, so they were looking to target those demographics. You know, of course, the stock took an initial hit uh, the first day, but uh, I checked it uh, Friday afternoon. It looked like it coming back uh, halfway from what it had lost. So it looks like it's going to continue to be a good value stock for people that buy value stocks. And 
like to diversify their uh, portfolio. Um, so, you know, it's something they were just trying to target and, and, you know, they hit their mark. Of, of course, I've had my fun with the ads. Uh, I, you know, anybody, anybody and everybody has been sharing all the little uh, mock-up memes uh, that, that made uh, from the Nike ad. I shared one this morning that was, uh, I wish I could remember the way it was worded, but it was a picture of uh, the the uh, Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and it says, you know, if you want something, just take it. <laughs> um you know, it's it's you know I've loved it. I've enjoyed uh, the memes that I did not I did not see that coming. But I have loved uh, all the memes that have happened since the ad uh, was announced. Uh, you know, and, and Trump is going to be Trump. I mean, that's just who he is. Um, he has tried from day one to make it Colin Kaepernick versus the military when that's not what it is at all. Uh, so he's going to continue to do that, and he is going to continue to go against and try to destroy anybody that that in any way uh, doesn't agree with where he's going and doesn't agree with him politically. Uh, I mean, that's that's what he's done. That's what he uses his Twitter to do, and uh, apparently that's what he's going to try to do with Nike, and we'll just have to watch and see how it plays out. All right. Anything else you want to say? No, sir. Okay, so the next story is about Doug Ducey, the Republican governor of Arizona. So uh, he recently appointed after the death of John McCain. He has announced that former senator and former Senate minority whip John Kyle, Republican from Arizona, who was a, again was a former senator there, will be reappointed uh, to John McCain's seat. He originally held the other seat. Um, until 2000 in Arizona until 2013 when he retired and was succeeded by fellow Republican Jeff Flake who's retiring from the Senate this year um, but now he will be appointed um, now this might be good news for Republicans because he's a shepherd he's been called a shepherd for getting trying to get Brett Kavanaugh confirmed to the Supreme Court so that means that that's the vacancy. Or that seat is no longer in question. That vote is no longer in question. He's definitely going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh. Or he's 99.9% likely to vote for Brett Kavanaugh to confirm him to the Supreme Court. Um, but so, so that now leaves Murkowski and Collins and then whatever Democrats, Manchin, Heitkamp, Donnelly, Jones, whichever ones want to vote for Kavanaugh in question. But this... Uh, the catch is that Kyle is now saying he won't run. There's going to be a special election in 2020 for McCain's seat. Um, that seat will officially be up for a full six-year term in 2022. And Kyle is saying he will not run in 2020, which means that uh, Republicans will have to get their act together and find somebody else to run in 2020. So what are your thoughts on John Kyle being appointed to that seat? Well, I, it, it, I was very curious to see what direction uh, the governor was going to go uh, in making that appointment. Um, I think that, you know, if I had been, you know, in his place, I would have tried to appoint someone, you know, as close to John McCain's uh, ideology as I could, just out of respect for the fact that the people had elected you know, John McCain to that seat. Mm -hmm. uh, now, he may not have had, you know, that availability. I, I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, it, it's another one of those we'll just kind of have to wait and see how it plays out um, and, and see what happens from there. Um, now, yeah, and I heard some people saying they wanted...
Alright, so unfortunately, due to a glitch in Anchor's system, the second part of my uh, episode with Mark West uh, is has been lost. It won't allow me to save it for some reason, so I don't know why. This is yet another problem with Anchor, um, but... Anchor, if you're listening to this, if you guys could please fix this. this is, again, I couldn't even get my Cynthia Nixon and Andrew Cuomo debate up, New York gubernatorial Democratic primary debate up. So this is really disappointing. So I wish, Anchor, if you guys could please find a way to fix that, I would really appreciate that. Thanks. But without further ado, I'm going to have to talk about the rest of of these stories by myself, uh, and there aren't many left, but I'm going to talk about them myself. So <clears throat> the first one is about Governor Doug Ducey. He is the Republican from Arizona. He has announced that he will be appointing former Senator and former Senate Minority Whip John Kyle, Republican from Arizona, to John McCain's seat. Um, now, Kyle has taken office. Kyle has been a shepherd for the Kavanaugh, for Brett Kavanaugh, which means um, he is now going to uh, be, he, it's almost certain at this point that he is going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation uh, because of that. Um, <clears throat> so... Now, really, when it comes to the Brett Kavanaugh vote, it it really comes down to um, to Murkowski, Republican Alaska, uh, Collins, Republican from Maine, and whatever Democrats want to vote, uh, whether it be Manchin from West Virginia, Heitkamp from North Dakota. Uh, Donnelly from Indiana, those are the three that voted for Gorsuch. So, of course, everybody has been looking at them the most. Um, and, uh, and then maybe, maybe Jones from Alabama, who knows? Um, but, uh, it's looking more and more like now that Kavanaugh is going to be in good standing. But in terms of this pick, um, I had heard that he was on the list of potential replacements, but I just didn't take it very seriously because I didn't think Ducey was going to do that because frankly, Ducey is, um, or frankly, uh, those people are, or frankly, I, I just, there's just no precedent for this. There's, I can't think of a single time and maybe I'm wrong Maybe somebody can correct me, but I, I can't think of a single time in the past where there's been a Democrat or, or there's been a senator, a former senator that's been appointed to replace uh, another senator. But I guess here's the catch. They're not going to have a special election in Arizona for McCain's seat this year because there was a cutoff date. In order for there to be any special elections for any seats this year, the senator whose seat was being replaced would have to have either died or resigned by May 30th. So Al Franken, for example, Al Franken, um, 
I'm trying to think of who else. Al Franken, uh, oh yeah, and then Thad Cochran. They both resigned before May 30th. So that's why there are special elections this November in Mississippi and Minnesota. However, because John McCain died after May 30th of this year, his special election won't be until 2020. So overall, it's good for Republicans that they have another guy in there who's definitely going to vote for Kavanaugh. Um, It means that even if, if they get all Republicans on board and they just need to persuade two Republicans that have both expressed interest in voting for Kavanaugh, um, if they persuade both of them, even if they get no Democrats on board, they can easily confirm Kavanaugh because they need 51 votes. Before, if this vacancy had been, if this seat had been left vacant any longer, uh, then they, it could have been led to, or if McCain were still alive and he was unable to vote, that might have led to a 50-49 scenario, in which case they would have needed Pence to break to be their 51st vote because Pence is the president of the Senate. But it looks like they won't need Pence after all. It looks like um, it's just going to be 50-50, or it's going to be 51-49 and perhaps a few others. But it's unknown because obviously Manchin, Heitkamp, Donnelly, Jones, they're all being uh, pressured by uh, Chuck Schumer uh, and other Democrats not to vote for Kavanaugh's nomination, but they're probably not going to do that. I am also glad that, um, that, uh, what's his name? Um, I'm glad that they didn't appoint Cindy McCain. I know a lot of people thought that Cindy McCain, it would have been a nice gesture, but a, it would have led to another political dynasty, which I don't like. Um, and second of all, listen, I mean, I had differences with John McCain, definitely, uh, especially on foreign policy issues. Uh, as you heard Mark West say, he also had problems with McCain. He wasn't a fan of McCain either. But again, I do appreciate his service um, to this great nation. But again, he does, and I don't mean to sound cruel or harsh, but he doesn't, I hate to say this, but he doesn't own that seat. I know that might sound cruel, that might sound harsh, but just because you served there for a long time and just because you served our country, it doesn't mean that Senate seat belongs to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to sound mean or anything, but it's not my intention at all. But it's it's kind of it's kind of true because if you look back at uh at the Hawaii uh, Senate, uh, at the Hawaii Senate, uh, or the Hawaii U.S. Senate, let me pull up what his name was, I think his name was, hold on, I think his name was David Akana, or no, David, uh, in, in Yoey, I think that's how you pronounce his name, I apologize if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, but he was um, Inoue or Inoue. He was uh, a senator there. He um, 
Again, he served his country admirably. Um, and he was senator for a very, very, very long time. Um, um, but I think he wrote, if I'm not mistaken, he asked Neil Agercrombie, the Democratic governor at the time, he said, when I die, I want you to replay, to appoint Colleen Hanabusa, the congresswoman who recently ran for governor and lost the nomination to the incumbent David Ige. We talked about that on an episode. David Inyoi wanted her to be appointed to his seat when he died, and he wrote that in his letter as kind of like his will. But Neil Agricombe, the Democrat, was like, nah, once he died, he appointed his lieutenant governor, Brian Schatz, to that seat instead. Brian Schatz still in that seat right now. He's one of the most popular senators in the country. Everybody gave Neil Agricombe flack for that. They were like, how dare you do that? He was a war hero, and all he asked for was that his seat be, that he get this one woman to be appointed to his seat and you put your own lieutenant governor, how dare you? In fact, in fact, Neil Agricrombie, when he ran for re-election in 2014, he lost his party's nomination to David Ige, who is now the governor there. Um, so he ended up not getting re-elected because his party went with somebody else um, for the nomination that year. Um, so it just goes to show that, but here's the thing. Neil Agricrombie, I don't think Neil Agricrombie was in the wrong at all. I mean, I think David uh, Inouye, I think he, I think he served his country very admirably, and that can't be denied. It would be very foolish to deny that he loved his country and served his country abundantly. However, and I hate to be cruel about this, he doesn't own that seat. That seat is a federal position. Um, and I think it's the same thing with, with John McCain, where it's not a federal, it's a federal position. So therefore it wouldn't make sense to put Cindy McCain, especially since that could lead to a McCain family dynasty. But here's the one catch before I move on. The one catch with the seat is the fact that apparently, uh, Kyle has said he will not. And I guess Kyle is much more conservative than, or much more of a mainstream conservative than McCain was. Remember, McCain was more of a centrist. Uh, John Kyle is more of a Bush-esque mainstream Tea Party-ish Republican. Um, He's more of that type of Republican. But I guess he's saying he won't run in 2020. He won't run because they're going to have their special election in 2020. And I guess he's saying he's not going to run in that election. So now, so he's just going to be a temporary appointment. So that means that Republicans have two years to put, to find somebody who can replace him in that seat. I don't know. Maybe if Martha McSally loses this year, maybe Martha McSally will run again in two years for that seat. And maybe she'll have a better chance. Uh, considering Martha McSally is more like a McCain-type Republican. Um, but uh, but that does mean that Republicans better get their act together, especially since Arizona is becoming more of a... It's going from what used to be a safe Republican state 
to a lean Democrat or not, maybe either lean Democrat or lean purple state. We don't know yet. But either way, it's going more towards the center. Donald Trump won it, but not by as big of a margin as he should have. And there's a big minority population in Arizona. So Republicans better watch out uh, and find somebody in 2020 who can run for that seat. But anyways, I'm going to move on now um, <clears throat> to um, to the next story, which is about the Kavanaugh hearings. We were just talking about Kavanaugh a second ago. So I was watching some of the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And listen, I'm not the biggest fan of Kavanaugh myself. Um, I think he's very weak on the Fourth Amendment. But I do think he's better for us libertarians than Anthony Kennedy was because Anthony Kennedy, he was often the bad guy in a lot of situations. He was often the villain in a lot of these rulings. I mean, just look at the eminent domain case where he ruled in favor uh, of the eminent domain. Um, Let me look up what the name of that case was real quick. Yeah, it was called Kilo versus City, uh, or yeah, Kilo versus City of New England. That was or New London, Kilo New, yeah, Kilo versus uh, City of New London. That was the case where they wanted to build this huge, beautiful shopping mart in uh, in Connecticut, but uh, in order to do that, all these houses has had to be torn down. In this evil, 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 repugnant, disgusting, abysmal technique called, uh, called, uh, eminent domain. You know, I, I talked about how Cory Booker said that people that voted for Kavanaugh are complicit with evil. People that support, or people in high power, not everybody who has an opinion about eminent domain, but people, the Supreme Court justices who, voted in favor uh, of having the house taken down because the whole, or or having the house taken away from that one woman in Connecticut. I think those Supreme court justices were complicit with evil, frankly. Um, But yeah, so the case was essentially that this one woman wanted to keep her house, but ultimately she lost the case. Thanks to Anthony Kennedy, the swing vote. Thanks, thanks, Tony. Thanks, buddy. Um, and he said that uh, he said that that house could be taken away uh, for a shopping mall, and it was evil, and it was disgusting and abhorrent, um, and it was just abysmal, but. He voted in favor of that, and I don't think Kavanaugh would have voted in favor of that, but he is weak on the Fourth Amendment. I will say, though, that he is better on the Second Amendment. He is a little bit better on the Second Amendment. So, I don't know. I, I've i become a little bit less opposed to Brett Kavanaugh. I know when they first announced his confirmation, I was like, oh, crap, this isn't good. Trump done screwed up. This is, what happened, Trump? You went from Gorsuch, who was a great nominee, to K- 
Kavanaugh, who's a not-so-great nominee. I am sort of starting to warm up to the idea of a Justice Kavanaugh. But getting into the hearings, the hearings started this week, and oh boy, they were... They were something else. So, um, it got really crazy. Sheldon Whitehouse, the Democrat from Rhode Island, asked these ridiculous questions. Uh, Diane Feinstein, the Democrat from California, asked these ridiculous questions. Kamala Harris, the other Democrat from California, asked these ridiculous questions. Don't even get me started on Cory Booker, the Democrat from New Jersey. Cory Booker, I think at this point, just wants to be the nominee in 2020 to go up against Trump. That's all he wants to do. And oh gosh, he was ridiculous. Oh gosh. Gosh, was it ridiculous the way he acted. Um, he was trying to compare himself to Spartacus. He was trying to break Senate rules. He was trying to act like a martyr by saying, I'm breaking the Senate rule. I don't care if they expel me because I'm a brave man and I can take it. Ugh. It's like they just want to. He just wants to seem like a martyr so that in 2020, when he runs for president, which I think he probably will, even if it means, even though he is up again in 2020 for re-election in the Senate, I still think he's at least going to try and obtain the Democratic nomination for president. I think when he goes there, he's going to be like, well, when Trump nominated Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court, I stood up to him and I was this amazing liberal hero. And that's all he wants to do. That's frankly all he wants to do. And some of the questions were ridiculous. Oh, and don't even, oh, there was... There was Senate Minority Leader Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, who was trying to say that there were like certain ways he couldn't answer his question, and Sheldon Whitehouse kept interrupting him, and it was I, – I don't love Kavanaugh, but some of the behavior of a lot of the Democrats asking these questions was a little bit ridiculous. Um I mean, you want to be tough, that's fine. Amy Klobuchar, Democrat from Minnesota, asked some tough questions, and I thought they were some pretty reasonable questions, but some of the questions were just ridiculous, uh, if you ask me. Um, but uh, why don't we move on from that issue? Um, the next thing I want to talk about, <clears throat> piece of news making the rounds all this week, Uh is the New York Times op-ed that came out, which claims that uh, there is a person in the White House who is working for Donald Trump um, that is... Uh, it's somebody in the White House working for Donald Trump who is a part of the quote-unquote resistance. They're saying they're a part of the resistance... Um, and essentially that, um, they're thwarting to take down Donald Trump. Um, now I find this a little hard to believe, um, but it's not impossible. It's not like this, like this is new. Um, because again, there was a book in the nineties written about a president from Mark West's home state. We were just talking to Mike, Mark West, obviously from his home state. 
uh, of Arkansas, and that was about Bill Clinton. And this book was originally written anonymously, although I believe we originally we eventually found out who the author was of that story. <clears throat> but he was essentially wrote this book where he gave Bill Clinton and all these other people like Hillary and uh, Bill Clinton's primary challengers. He gave them all different names, uh, all new names, but he didn't, he just didn't call him Bill Clinton or whatnot. Um, and the book was called Primary Colors, and it was eventually adapted into a movie with John Travolta. And even though he didn't say Bill Clinton or Hillary or any of the primary challengers like Jerry Brown, uh, Paul Tongas, uh, yada 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 um in spite of that it was very clear that the that the book was about bill clinton i mean just the, the mannerisms the campaign was just so identical to bill clinton's and john travolta uh played the bill clinton uh imposter in the primary colors movie adaption so this story did kind of remind me of a primary colors type of scenario. Um, but I do think this is a little different because this is the New York times and anybody can write into the New York times saying that they were, anybody can write in anonymously to the New York times and say that they worked for somebody. Um, I could write into the New York times right now saying that I am a secret spy working for North Korea or, I am a Russian spy and I colluded in the elections. Uh, anybody could do that. I could do that right now if I wanted to. Um, so because of that, I'm a little bit skeptical. I mean, I suppose perhaps you could say it's a little bit more plausible to say that there would have to be somebody with a little bit more name recognition in order to um, to actually... Uh, how do I say this? Uh, in order to actually, um, get into the New York Times, I mean, I guess they wouldn't just accept an anonymous thing from anybody, but still, it's pretty vague, and there's not a lot of evidence to go by, but I guess Trump is really concerned because Trump has apparently hired Jeff Sessions, his attorney general to try and scout out um, whoever is working there at the white house, uh, try and investigate all these people working for him to see if they're, they were the one who wrote this op-ed um, more than a dozen cabinet members working for Trump have come out and said that they didn't do that, which means they could be freaking out. Of course, they have to say that. They have to say, oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Uh, I will say I, I'd be surprised if it was Ben Carson because Ben Carson gave an answer that I think kind of sounds like pretty plausible. Ben Carson was asked and he said, <laughs> no. Like he was just like, haha, no, like, oh, that's, that was a interesting article, but I had nothing to do with it. And I don't know. It just sounds more plausible coming from Ben Carson. 
But Rick Perry has come out, Ryan Zinke, all these people, Kellyanne Conway, um, all these officials working for Trump, uh, all denying it. So we'll just have to see. Um, it'd be funny if it were Barron. Imagine if Barron Trump, Barron Trump was trolling his dad and he said, I am a part of the resistance. That would be pretty funny, but, um, we'll just have to see what happens. Um, but now for our next segment, it's time for election talk. This is the segment of the show where we talk about, uh, all the races from this week. Um, so first of all, let's start in Massachusetts. So in Massachusetts, uh, right now, uh, right now, uh, Elizabeth Warren, she was elected to her first term, uh, six years ago, winning by about seven points. Right now, she is going to be going up against Jeff Deal, a state lawmaker. Um, he's a state lawmaker uh, who uh, who is an adamant supporter of Donald Trump. Uh, to put this very bluntly, um, even though this was competitive six years ago, Elizabeth Warren only won by about seven points. Um, this year it's not expected to be competitive because you got to remember she was running against an, a popular Republican incumbent Senator. Um, I think because of partisan politics, she got lucky and it went to her. Um, but I think this time, uh, there's no chance of, this uh, seat going Republican because nobody knows who Jeff Deal is. Uh, Jeff Deal actually took down. Um, he actually took down a field of more moderate Republicans. Um, hold on. Jeff Deal took down a field of moderate Republicans. Essentially, Jeff Deal, the people that were running against Jeff Deal were. Uh, Beth Lindstrom, the former undersecretary of the Massachusetts Office of Consumer Affairs and Business Regulation. And then there was uh, John Kingston. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine named Rashawn Blyden, who I've had on a lot. Um, go check out his show. His show is called The Political Bomb Show. He's a recurring guest. He endorsed uh, John Kingston, who was the uh, who's an attorney and the founder of better for America, but ultimately, uh, Jeff Deal, I actually saw some ads for John Kingston on YouTube, but ultimately Jeff Deal, the most far right, not far right, but the most right wing candidate, uh, won the nomination. Uh, Shiva Ayadura, um, yeah, Shiva Ayadura, who is a scientist and entrepreneur, and the form and the ex of uh, a Hollywood actress who's actually a big Democrat uh, who starred in Saturday Night Fever, who he got separated from. Um, I guess they haven't gotten divorced yet, but they've been separated. 
he is running as an independent and he is a very, very conservative independent. He pretty much has the same Trump populist ideas. So that helps Elizabeth Warren even more. She was already favored to win, but now it's even more likely that she's going to win uh, because of the fact that Jeff Deal, because of the fact that Deal and Ayaduria uh, are both probably going to split the vote. So let's get to the MA governor's race. Um, so in the governor's race, right near, now there's actually a Republican. So, oh yeah, and I forgot to mention. So the Massachusetts Senate race is listed as safe Democratic. On the other hand, the Massachusetts governor's race is rated as, believe it or not, safe Republican. Uh, right now, Charlie Baker is the most popular governor in the country. He is a re- the incumbent Republican governor, and he is running for re-election to a second term. So he is very popular amongst Massachusetts voters, but many Republicans do not like him because of the fact that um, uh, he is a centrist. He considers himself a fiscal conservative and a social liberal. Uh, he used to be a protege of fake libertarian Bill Weld, who was governor of Massachusetts in the 90s. And um, I guess Ron Beatty, a Barnstable County commissioner, um, he was thinking about running. Um, also, Charlie Baker dis- despises Donald Trump. But um, I guess he was um, uh, he was thinking about running. Ron, or yeah, Ron Beatty was thinking about running, and I guess Ron Beatty is controversial because I guess because I guess he was once tried and convicted for threatening the life of former President George H. W. Bush. Um. Uh. And he's uh, he's proposed a shark migration policy to combine the growing presence of sharks near Cape Cod. Uh, okay, um, but I guess he decided he was thinking about running. He doesn't like Charlie Baker, but I guess instead he's running against Randy Hunt. Uh, he's primary. He primaried him for state representative. He represents him in his district. Um. And you may be wondering, why is he primarying Randy Hunt? Is it because he doesn't agree with him? Is it because he doesn't like his principles? Uh, Well, no. Actually, it was, get this, because Hunt parked in his Barnstable County Courthouse parking spot. That's the reason why he primaried him for state representative. Because he parked in his parking spot. This is what politics has come to, folks. Um, but I guess um, the only there was one challenger that faced Charlie Baker, the right wing controversial pastor named Scott Lively, who was an independent candidate for governor four years ago. He's very controversial. Uh, allegedly, he co-wrote Uganda's anti-gay laws. He's uh, anti-homosexuality laws, I should say. Like, it wasn't just anti-gay marriage. It was anti-homosexual acts in general. He's participated in um, in gay conversion therapy programs. Um, he's a pastor. He, he even wrote a, co-wrote a book in the 90s called 
the pink swastika, uh, homosexuality in the Nazi party, where he blames homosexualities and homosexuals for the Holocaust. Um, he ran very controversial guy. Some Republicans liked him because he was uh, a more right-wing alternative to Charlie Baker, but ultimately Charlie Baker had the endorsement of the Massachusetts Republican Party, and he easily got renominated. Um, going over to the Democratic primary, um, <clears throat> at one point, Seti Warren, the may the former the former mayor of Newark or, or of Newtown. Uh, Massachusetts was considered the front runner for the nomination. He even had the nom- the endorsement of uh, um, of Michael Dukakis, the former governor of Massachusetts and the 1988 Democratic nominee for president. Um, ultimately, he dropped out. He had to drop out due to concerns over how much money he had in his war chest. He had a lack of war money or lack of money in his war chest. So it came down to Bob Massey, um, a businessman, progressive activist, and nominee for lieutenant governor in 1994, um, and Jay Gonzalez, a former state official, um, former state administration official, and protege to former governor Democratic Governor Deval Patrick. Um, ultimately, Gonzalez won the nomination. Uh, I think Bassey would have been better because, or might have been a stronger candidate um, if they wanted to get more of the progressives on board. Because, again, Massey has a very progressive track record, whereas Jay, Jay Gonzalez represents more of that neoliberal Hillary Clinton style of liberalism. Um, and uh, ultimately, Jay Gonzalez, um, he won. He won the Democratic nomination, so it's down between them. Uh, but Charlie Baker is easily expected to win, even though this is a, an overwhelmingly blue state. Um, oh, crap, I just had the numbers up. But yeah, even though this is considered and overwhelmingly blue state. So that's a, a two for two. So, um, so that's kind of a two for two. It means that the state of Massachusetts will go blue or, or the Senate race here will go blue, but the, um, but the, uh, governor's race will indeed Go uh, will indeed go Republican. So governor's race is safe Republican. Senate race is safe Democrat. It's kind of a 50-50 for both sides of the duopoly. Now let me just check real quick how much, what the margin was for Donald Trump. Okay. Hold on. All right. 
Okay, so so Hillary Clinton won the state over Donald Trump by about twenty eight points. Um, yeah, yeah, Hillary Clinton won the state over Donald Trump by about twenty six points. Uh, Barack Obama won the state over Mitt Romney by about twenty three points. Uh, so this is a very very liberal state. It's considered one of the most liberal states in the country. Um, some people even mockingly call it Taxachusetts. Um, but yeah, but I also wanted to briefly talk about one of the house races here because there was a progressive who pulled up, pulled off another Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, so there was a, let me look up what her name was. So Aaron Presley was pulled off an upset. She's a Boston city council member and she took down 10 term representative, uh, Michael, uh, Capuano. Um, and, uh, she was, um, she took him down. He was a big longtime Democrat. So just like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, when she took down Joe Crowley, um, uh, Ayanna Presley has taken him down uh, in a safe Democratic district. So that is huge. And it goes to show the progressive victories throughout the country. I do think that there is something going on with the progressive movement, which is going to help Democrats. Because if we go back to 2010, Joe Walsh won, I think, in the Chicago areas uh, of Illinois, um, even though he was considered... Um, he won in the Chicago areas of Illinois, even though those are overwhelmingly blue areas, uh, because there was a lot of momentum for Republicans that year. And, and guess what? He was a Tea Party Republican, but there was a lot of momentum for Republicans that year, and he won that race. Now, two years later, he lost, but you get the idea. Because there was such a big Tea Party movement, I think that helped Republicans. And I think that's going to help the Democrats here is this big hashtag resist progressive movement. Um, I definitely think there's something big going on, especially when it comes to taking down establishment figures in the party. But that's all I'm going to continue to say about the um, about the Massachusetts uh, Senate race. Uh, let's get on to the Delaware Senate race. So. Um, so Tom Carper, he is running for his fourth term in the United States Senate. Before this, he was actually a governor of Delaware. Um, but he had challenge from an anti-establishment progressive named Carrie Evelyn Harris, um, who is a progressive activist and a former Air Force veteran. Ultimately, however, um, Carper was able to take Harris down uh, and win the nomination once again. On the Republican side, it was down to um, uh, Gene Truono, the former chief compliance officer at PayPal, and Rocky De La Fuente, a businessman, a presidential candidate. He's pretty much a perennial candidate. He's been putting his name on the ballot in whatever states he's eligible to do so this year. He's been running in all these different races. Um, 
But ultimately, Rob Arlett, the Sussex County Councilman uh, and the Delaware State Chairman for the Trump campaign, he won the nomination. However, um, he's not expected to win. Um, This is considered a safe Democratic state. Remember, this is Joe Biden's state. And um, Tom Carper got reelected in 2012 by about 37 points, so big margin. Um, Let me look at the 2016 map. Hillary Clinton won the state by 12 points. Okay, maybe a little reduced, but she still won it by a solid 12 points in 2016. Um, Barack Obama won the state by 21 points in 2012. So this is overall a very blue state. Um, But uh, yeah, so that caps off the primary results for this week. Next week will be the last election talk until the midterms, although I am going to hopefully have another episode with Ray Sean. Um, finally, I want to talk about Bob Woodward's new book. So Bob Woodward has a new book coming out called Fear, uh, where he essentially talks about the inside experience in the White House, and he talks about some things like he said certain members of the White House wanted to resign after Charlottesville, uh, after Trump's response and his failure to uh, call out the neo-Nazis in Charlottesville, um, saying there were good people on both sides, which there weren't. Um, and then apparently they actually tried to steal documents from his desk, but it's unknown if this is real or not. The White House is very adamantly denying this. Um but Bob Woodward continues to say that it's not. I mean, Bob Woodward is a credible source. However, he has attacked just about every president since Nixon uh, resigned. Um, so it's really hard to tell, but we'll see what happens. So that re- that caps it all off. Uh, I'm going to see you guys next week with a new guest. So stay tuned.